Good evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. The coronavirus pandemic and the impact of efforts to control this virus have devastated communities in North Carolina and across the United States. During this crisis, the United States government has been very ineffective in addressing this danger as has been several state governments. The devastating impact from this crisis has significantly impacted African-American and Latino communities. Reported statistics, which were available this week, showed that African-Americans in New Orleans, who comprise 34% of that population, has experienced a death rate of 70%. In Chicago, with a 30% African-American population, African-Americans were 71% of the death rate there. And in Detroit, with an African-American population of 32%, African-Americans represented 70% of those persons who died. And in North Carolina, with an African-American population of 22%, 38% of the reported infections are experienced by African-Americans. The death rate in North Carolina has not been reported yet by race. This crisis has resulted in a widespread impact on everyone. During a two-day period in New York City this week, 731 people died on one day, and on another day, 779 died, both record numbers of deaths since this coronavirus has begun. Since March, there has been over 400,000 reports of coronavirus infections and over 14,000 deaths in the United States. In North Carolina, there are more than 3,400 reported cases and 53 people have died. These are all tragic statistics which exist even though most of the country has been placed under a variety of shelter-in-place orders. Add to this misery and fears, which have developed as a result of the scarcity of medical supplies, inadequate medical personnel, nurses and support staff, insufficient supply of masks and protective equipment, and total reckless conduct and disregard manifested by some people. We also have to concern about the host of scams and criminal conduct committed by people who seek to pry upon people for their own enrichment. Tonight, we are going to discuss many of these scams or criminal conduct and the harms which are caused by them. We will also discuss warning signs and what you can do to undermine these criminal efforts. So joining us for this discussion 
are attorney Hugh Harris and Mercedes Restucia Klein, who are with the public protection section of the North Carolina Attorney General's Office. So thanks, uh, thanks to both of you for joining us this evening. Thank you. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. All right, All right. now in, in the interest of, of full disclosure, uh, I'm, I'm proud to inform our audience that both of these attorneys, both experts in their fields, are graduates of the NCCU School of Law. So will both of you tell our audience about your background and your specific responsibilities with the Attorney General's Office? So why don't we start with uh, Mercedes? Well, I am a graduate from North Carolina Central class of 2009, and I um, started off my career in private practice doing a little bit of immigration cases, criminal defense. I was on the court appointed list, um, but did the bulk of my uh, practice with the um, a nonprofit that does disability rights advocacy, uh, which led me into uh, my role with the public protection section, where I do outreach to vulnerable populations, which includes uh, not only the Latinx community and other immigrant populations, but also our disability community and our senior population. That in addition to some policy work when it comes to criminal justice reform, and uh, as all the other attorneys are uh, criminal brief representation. And you. Yes. All right, my background, uh, North Carolina Central University School of Law, 2003, proud graduate of the, of the, of the law school there. Uh, started off in the public defender's office, did criminal law for a while did civil litigation, workers' comp, uh, personal injury. And then um, I joined the Consumer Protection Division where I had a chance to litigate a lot of cases under Chapter 75, North Carolina's Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act, basically going after scammers. And now I'm in the public protection section where my main focus is outreach, where I get a chance to go out and speak to groups, all sorts of groups, uh, nonprofits, professionals, whoever it may be, especially about uh, consumer protection scams and frauds, how to protect themselves. Also about North Carolina's data breach law, uh, the opioid epidemic, and of course, lately, this this latest topic that we have that, that's come up right now. Uh, the um, coronavirus is uh, relatively new uh, to, uh, to all of us. Uh, uh, in March, uh, the governor uh, signed uh, his initial uh, shelter-in-place uh, order, uh, but that uh, virus had been uh, percolating around the world uh, from some for some time uh, before that. And uh, now that it has hit, and it has hit with a uh, huge bang, a blast, or an explosion, uh, we are confronted with a number of uh, protections that have been uh, put in place by our governor, uh, which are designed to uh, protect us uh, from hurt, harm, and, uh, and danger. And uh, many people are now out uh, sheltering in place. And I'm glad to see that the two of you are sheltering uh, in place uh, and that your educational efforts uh, uh, have not uh, exposed you uh, unnecessarily to this uh, to this virus, but can you kind of 
talk to, 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 to our audience a little bit about what are the concerns of the uh, public uh, protection section about uh, what is happening to people outside of some of the uh, medical concerns and issues that, uh, that they are encountering during this time? Sure. So we know that the scammers are still out there. And now what they have, number one, our, our public protection, our job is obviously to protect all the public here in North Carolina. That's their attorney general's job. We know that now these scammers know that people are aware they're at home, they're accessible. So now I can come up and, and contact them more, especially the elderly or anyone with any type of scam. But we know what the virus scams, you know, you have the sort of snake oil, miracle cures. I'm either call you by the telephone because you're accessible or I'm going to, you know, send it to you in an email, uh, do the robocalls, the phishing uh, uh, sort of scams, charity scams. Let's help people, you know, let's help people that are homeless now from this COVID-19 virus or let's help the restaurants. I can set up a fake charity website. So the scammers are out there to still take your money and take advantage of you no matter who you are. And now, you know, the, the scary part is we're more accessible. We're at one place where before I would probably be at work. Majority of us are not at the house. Well, we're accessible right now. And what are we doing? A lot of times since we're at home, we're online. So they can set up these fake websites. Um, any way they can profit off this coronavirus, uh, they'll do it. Mercedes. Yes, yes, I was going to say, we've seen an uptick in the uh, grandparent scams and the rom romance scams, uh, which are often largely done online or over the phone. Uh, those grandparent scams are when uh, people call pretending to be a family member under some type of duress and being asked to be wired money. Um, the romance scams are the typical, uh, you know, trying to get you to uh, romantically involved and then usually to, to wire money. Um, what we're worried about seeing and what we expect to see are um, scams surrounded around the federal stimulus money that's been coming out, right? We're all expected, um, everybody that has a social security number, right, is expected to get a check of uh, about $1,200 per person, um, if not maybe a little bit more for children, uh, that's gonna be directly deposited into our bank accounts if, uh, if we've paid uh, the taxes, right? And so ultimately we're afraid that uh, and we're likely to see people trying to pretend that they can get you that money quicker, or um, if you pay money up front, you can get the money quicker, uh, or more of the money or installments of the money. Who knows what the scams are going to look like, right? Um, but we expect to see those scams coming up. So it's important to know that the IRS is not going to call you to ask uh, for your financial information to ensure to get that check. Um, and if anybody is asking you to pay up front to get the money, they are definitely a scammer. Don't do that. Well, you know, I have uh, kind of thinking through this uh, topic, uh, kind of concluded that uh, we, we're dealing with uh, two types of scams uh, to some extent. One uh, are those scams that are perpetrated on the people and uh, those other scams that are perpetrated by the people. Uh, you uh, mentioned uh, the um, uh, federal enactment uh, that uh, is designed to place monies into the uh, possession of citizens throughout 
the uh, state uh, and country. And then there are various uh, entitlements that's been created by the, uh, by the state in the area of uh, unemployment compensation. And then there is the uh, monster uh, federal stimulus act uh, that Congress has uh, now uh, passed. Um, do, can you talk about what it is that people can expect ordinarily to have to do in order to access those uh, benefits and those funds on, on the view that if you know what to expect, uh, you can better understand uh, when something uh, comes along that's, that's out of kilter. My understanding is that uh, you know, the IRS has our bank account information or our contact information in some way. Um, so they will be depositing that check directly in the next couple of weeks into whatever bank account information it is that they have last on record. Otherwise, they are in the process of setting up an account, um, a website where you can go and update your account information. And so I believe that it's going to be um, on their website. It's you know www.irs.gov/coronavirus that they've set up, and that will be the most direct area and location to be able to find out how to make sure you have the most updated information with the IRS to get your uh, your benefit. I think what's important is to note is to make sure that you're making that phone call from the phone number that's listed on that irs.gov website and you're not doing it in response to somebody that's calling you. Those types of unsolicited phone calls when it comes to this um, are most likely gonna be a scam. So, so the government is uh, basically expecting to either uh, deposit uh, funds into accounts based on uh, uh, tax return uh, information and social security numbers or that persons who uh, for some reasons that will not show up on either one of those uh, listings will be uh, making contact with the government through the uh, call-in numbers. That uh, kind of accurate? That's uh, my understanding. And yeah. I, yes, I do think it is important to note that individuals that use, use tax identification numbers do not actually qualify for this benefit. You have to have a social security number to qualify for that. So I will go as far to say that the Latinx community is very much affected by that legislation in that way. Uh, were you going to say something? No, no, she, she's hitting it on, on, I mean, she covered all points, but that's the scary part that the government is, you know, the social security number, right? So that's and, key, so easy for scammers to get you with, right? Because right. they'll call you and say, hey, I'm verifying this check. I'm trying to give you this $5,000. Yeah, your amount comes to 5000 I need your social security number so we can hurry up and deposit. And that's That can happen very quick, Mercedes. Yeah, can no, you? I think you're right on, yeah, you're right on point. And anytime the, the use of that social security number is in play, then people are going to try to take advantage of it. And can you talk about what the danger is when people do get a hold of your social security number? So, you know, as Herb was saying that this has given rise to a, a number of different types of scams. So there are scams and we'll talk about some of them in even greater detail, but scams that focus on trying to get money from you now. 
but people are using this situation to try and get information that will be then used to their benefit and to your detriment later on. Talk about the dangers of releasing your social security number to someone. Uh, with, you know, identity theft, basically, is there people are, are going to be able to open up um, accounts, credit accounts and get loans and run up your credit and your name uh, by using your social security number. So what we say, number one tip, the best way to prevent against this is making sure that you have a security freeze on your credit. Uh, you can learn about doing that on our website, www.ncdoj.gov slash security freeze, I believe is the, the full uh, link uh, URL there. But uh, ultimately it'll walk you through a th three-step process where you contact the three credit bureaus uh, to freeze your credit. Uh, it's a little bit of a cumbersome process, but that's the number one way to protect yourself from identity theft, which is ultimately what all these scammers are after, in, in my opinion, is um, not so much your individual identity as a person, but your financial identity, your credit, uh, they, so that they can go out and buy a refrigerator or a car or who knows what, right? Yeah, and with the social security number, we know passports, right? Um, I can file taxes in your name. I might even try to get this stimulus check right quick if I got your social security number ahead of time, right? Um, and Mercedes already mentioned boats, cars, all of that in your name. If I get a traffic ticket, I might even use your social security number. If I have to go to the hospital and get my treatment, I might use your social security number. So what she mentioned was that security freeze, which is free for everyone. You can do it for your elderly loved ones. You can do it for anyone at any age. You can lock their credit. Uh, you create your own PIN password. It's, it's pretty effective. And also check your credit report. Okay. This is the uh, Legal Eagle Review. And we are talking with uh, two experts from the uh, North Carolina Attorney General's Office about uh, scams that uh, people might uh, become uh, victims of during this uh, coronavirus uh, crisis that we have. We're going to take our break uh, right now. I want you to uh, stay with us and we will be right back to continue this discussion. My name is Reginald Woods II, and I am a current 1L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and these are your weekly announcements. On Wednesday, April the 15th, from 6 o'clock p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m., the Virtual Justice Project, in partnership with the Juvenile Justice Clinic, will host a tele-event regarding how to effectively wrap up your child's academic year. For more information regarding the law school and any of its upcoming events, please refer to the NCCU School of Law website at law.nccu.edu. My name is Reginald Woods II, and this has been your weekly announcements. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us as we uh, talk about uh, coronavirus and uh, the uh, scams uh, which uh, have been set up or in uh, existence now that are designed to uh, separate you from your money. Uh, that is one of the objectives and uh, people pry upon this uh, uh, anxiety that's created 
by the uh, crisis that we're going through uh, right now. And uh, we were talking about some of the uh, federal and state benefits and then how uh, a person can access uh, those uh, to give you some idea of, uh, of what the normal procedure might be so that you can detect any irregularities uh, in that process. Let me ask, uh, this, you know, go, just going back, uh, what if a person doesn't have a uh, social security number uh, and they seek then to uh, take advantage of uh, uh, funds from the, uh, uh, the stimulus uh, package or the unemployment uh, benefits or expanded unemployment benefits that the uh, federal government has, uh, has authorized? What is it that they do or is there a legitimate uh, claim if you don't have a social security number? My understanding is that there is, uh, there's not a legitimate claim if you don't, and that the way that the legislation was written is that um, people without uh, social security numbers that are unauthorized to work are not gonna be able to receive the benefits. So if you, if you work, if you, have, if you have had a job, then you would have been required to have a social security number. So it would be kind of suspect if you show up claiming one of these uh, benefits where you, uh, where you don't have a uh, social security number. And am I correct with, with, with that? I would think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the basic uh, uh, information or the basic uh, point uh, to be made is that if you keep your social security number private and to yourself and only give it out to reputable organizational uh, representatives, then you go a long way in produce, uh, protecting yourself from uh, these scammers, some of these scammers. And I, I have a yeah follow-up kind of question related to that. So, so saying, you know, make sure you only give it out to reputable, you know, organizations. And, and I think therein lies the problem, right? And so you've got folks who are convinced that the person who is asking for it is those back to a, a point that Mercedes and Q were both suggesting, which is a security freeze, and who you were emphasizing that it's free. Is this something that you would suggest that folks do just kind of as a matter of course, just to go ahead and to make sure? Uh, what are your thoughts about that, Hugh? Definitely. I think everyone should have one. I have one. Now, whether or not you want to do it for your children, it's up to you. You can always check someone's credit report for free. And in fact, I would recommend you do that first. Check your credit report for free. FTC, uh, www.ftc, Federal Trade Commission.gov. You can do a Google search, credit report. Make sure there's nothing ir irregular on there. Then go ahead and get the freeze. You get to create the PIN number. And again, you can do it for your elderly loved ones. Why not now? While everyone's in the house, you can talk to them over the phone and say, look, mom, dad, I'm going to set up this security freeze for you. It's just going to keep you safe. Um, for kids, again, it's up to you if you want to do that. Or you can just check their credit report, which should come back as nothing on there, right? That, that shows you that no one is spending money using their name. So definitely, I think everyone should do it as a matter of course. It's just one way, at least, to protect ourselves financially. And I think that's particularly important uh, because there is a provision 
that for each child, and I'm assuming that that's uh, a person under 18 years of age, uh, that they would be uh, entitled to, in addition to the $1,200, the uh, $500 uh, child uh, benefit uh, that's, uh, that's there. And it, are you clear on uh, how a family member might access that on behalf of the, uh, of, of the family uh, since probably the uh, child has not filed? Uh, an income uh, tax return in, in, in the past and would be dependent upon the uh, family member to provide that information to the government? I expect that it will be based on whoever claims that child as a dependent on their taxes. And that's how that money will get distributed. Right. Which is important uh, for people to know because uh, if you are not the one who is claiming the child, Yes. Uh, then uh, you place yourself in uh, harm's way uh, if you then decide that you want to uh, access those uh, benefits uh, on behalf of the, uh, of the child when you're not entitled to them as a matter of law. Yes, sir. Now, you mentioned this uh, notion of uh, price gouging. Uh, that uh, that exists, and I believe that there are statutes in uh, North Carolina uh, which uh, would make it illegal in times of uh, a declared emergency for uh, certain individuals to increase uh, the uh, cost of doing business or cost of products uh, as a result of that exists because of that emergency. Can you kind of uh, talk about that and what uh, 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 what the process is uh, to report uh, instances of price gouging. Sure, yeah, price gouging comes into effect when the governor declares a state of emergency and it's in effect for before the emergency and you know after the governor declares the emergency's done it's up to 45 days after that. So and it covers goods, services, uh, anything you're renting, um, it also looks at the manufacturer, the supplier, the wholesaler or distributor or retailer or seller of goods. So it could be water, could be gas, could be hotel rooms, all of that. And if you see that anywhere you go, the way to report that is if, if the price does not look right to you, it looks a little high, you can take a picture of it with your cell phone. We all pretty much have cell phones. Take a picture of that product and price and you can file a complaint. We actually have a special complaint for that, a price gouging complaint at www.ncdoj.gov. You can go in there and go to complaint forms and file a price gouging complaint. And what we do with that, uh, we sort of expedite those because we know people are in a state of emergency right now. So if someone's selling gasoline, I'm just giving an example for, you know, six or $7 a gallon, something outrageous. Um, we'd want to hurry up and see what's going on and investigate that claim right away because we know people are dependent on this. Now, there, there, there's also the, uh, what, uh, uh, toilet tissue. Toilet uh, tissue, all uh, good. Math, right. uh, and sanitizer. Hand sanitizer, yeah, very hand good. Hand sanitizer, yeah. Uh, right. that, uh, that, that, that there's a scarcity of uh, right now. Uh, can you talk about the um, advertising of, uh, of, of, of these items to the public 
uh, in an effort to uh, obtain uh, persons' uh, monies and uh, other uh, assets. So uh, probably you're referring to the bait and switch sort of, uh, I can advertise this toilet paper or, or hand sanitizer, I have it for this price, this many goods, you come in there, the price costs more. Is that sort of where you're, where you're going? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's, that's called the bait and switch. So I could say, hey, I just got a shipment of all these supplies, toilet paper, hand sanitizer. I know you need them out there. Um, I'm selling them for this amount. Then you get there, I'll, I could say, hey, I'm sorry, the supplies went down. The price had to go up. You know, people already bought them at that price. And it's um, a big jump in that. You can always file a complaint against that. That, that is fine to do. You can always file a complaint because we want to investigate that right away because I can't stress that enough. In this time that we're all going through, people are in need of certain supplies, certain goods, hotel rooms, motel rooms. I mean, the price is going up too much. What it appears to you, if it looks unreasonable, take a picture of it, uh, get evidence of that, file a complaint, send that picture to us. You can call us. Um, if, if you don't have access, you know, to a computer to actually file the complaint, you can give us a call on our consumer protection uh, division phone number. Sorry. And what and what is that number? It is one eight seven seven five no n o scam s c a m or nine one nine. 716 Okay. So what I was going to ask, and I, and I think this is something that Mercedes can uh, uh, kind of talk about, the vulnerable communities. So we're, we're all more vulnerable now, but there are some segments of our population who have times been targeted for scams. And I would imagine that that just continues. Um, Mercedes, can you talk about some of the vulnerable communities and how they're being targeted and, and what we can do to try to protect those more vulnerable groups? Yes, definitely. So actually, it, uh, it's funny that you bring this up because the first complaint, or one of the main complaints that we had received very early on um, during this pandemic was out of the Latinx community were door-to-door uh, -door scammers going around in a uh, mobile home neighborhood trying to sell uh, coronavirus testing kits and then also cleaning supplies. And so they were, you know, basically using it as an opportunity to case out the place, maybe to go back later. Who knows what exactly those scammers were trying to do. Um, but yes, um, the unfortunate thing is that uh, this community of people, like many communities of people, right, um, have a distrust for law enforcement and have can have very serious consequences um, with interacting and reporting things to, to law, their local law enforcement oftentimes. And so we're hearing uh, complaints about um, employers not respecting social distancing in different food production lines. Um, we're hearing stories about people being evicted, even though there's been orders to stop those evictions or in certain uh, within discretion and things of that sort when we talk about that the chief beasley's order about uh, about that so that it's definitely affecting uh, the latinx community in, in a very serious way just as, as many other communities as well 
then with respect to seniors and individuals that are living in, in congregate settings, right, um, are very much at uh, increased risk of contracting the virus if they're not pro practicing proper uh, hygiene. And oftentimes practicing that hygiene requires assistance, right? And having the, the people there to assist you to do that who are also practicing proper hygiene. And uh, we know that, that the field of in-home aids and things of that sort is very low funded and there, uh, there's a shortage of those, those types of uh, employees and workers to provide in-home aid. So uh, I think that our, our homebound seniors um, are feeling this. We know that you know, Meals on Wheels has cut back their uh, deliveries to once a week to you know, basically just frozen meals as opposed to uh, multiple days a week with uh, ready-made foods and things of that sort. So yeah, those are some examples of, of how the vulnerable populations are feeling this in, in, a, in their way. And with the, you know, the seniors, you're talking about these homebound seniors and, you know, what's, uh, what compounds the problem is family members feel constrained uh, and they don't want to go visit them for fear that they may have the virus be asymptomatic and expose elderly family members to it. So then we've got this whole issue of even greater loneliness and isolation. And Mercedes, you had mentioned that there's an uptick in the grandparent scams and the sweetheart romance scams. I would assume that there's that uptick in part because you know, folks are feeling even more isolated. Can you just talk a little bit about what those scams are for the purpose of, of people who may not be aware that their parents or elderly aunts and uncles or just elderly people within their family uh, might be exposed to. So they may not be as familiar with it, but they need to be even more mindful of it because there is this great increase in loneliness and isolation that our elderly are experiencing. Yeah, I, and I, and I, yes, definitely. I can and relate to the, uh, the feeling of not being able to visit your parents. I have not been able to visit my mother and my grandmother uh, for about three weeks now, and it is very tough on everybody involved. And um, I think it's important to remember that we're all in this together and it'll end soon, um, keeping that in mind. Uh, there are a lot of mental health resources out there. Uh, so making sure to uh, tap into those mental health resources uh, that are available. But speaking to specifically the scams that this population might be most vulnerable to, it's that grandparent scam and the romance scam. So the, the grandparent scam, again, it looks like an individual calling up and pretending and they'll say, Hey, grandma, Hey, grandpa. Um, and oftentimes they say, Hey, Hey, Jimmy, or hi, John. And they'll play into that. Um, noticing, you know, right off the bat, if they don't, if, if it doesn't sound like your grandchild or if it, if they don't call you by the right name, you know, like you go by Mimi instead of grandma, that, that something's up. Right. A lot of times that's how uh, people are alerted to the fact that it's a scam because Often people don't go by grandma or grandma any, grandfather anymore, um, but you know they'll they'll use this identity. They'll say something like, you know, I was traveling in an, in another city or in this circumstance now, you know, with COVID nineteen, they might be like, Grandma, I am super worried. I have to go and pick up a friend. I, um, they they need to go and get tested. I don't have any money to get um, protective gear, but this person's willing to sell me some for fifty bucks. Can you? 
go down to the gas station and get this gift card for me and read the number off the back of it. And then I, um, I can pay for protective gear. Like that, and I really need it right now because they're really sick. They are spiking a fever. I don't know what to do. Or it might even look like they're not acting like your grandchild. They're acting like your grandchild's friend. You know, I've got Billy here. He's so sick. He can't call you. He asked me to call you. And, you know, please, I don't know what to do. He's here. He's hardly responsive. They're going to try to play on that fear that um, you have to act now. It's a very, very urgent situation. Um, it's always important to kind of just take a step back. With all scams, they're going to want you to act quickly. Take a step back. Anytime you're dealing with money, don't feel like you're pressured into uh, providing that money and giving that money up front. Um, with the romance scam, it's a little bit different. The romance scam is a long game, right? Uh, and so what's happening there are you're getting friend requests from gentlemen or women, you know, hey, saw that you were interested in this. They'll do that, that, that data mining, the social mining, where they'll look at your profile, whatever you have public on your social media profile, and they will try to find a way to find that connection with you. Um, start by chatting. Maybe they'll start, you know, you'll start having video chats. I, you know, I've heard reports. There's a, an account on the FBI website. It's a woman, you know, they would pray together every Sunday and sing together and, uh, you know, and he needed money to start his business. And, you know, wired him, started off $500 for this. And, and then just asked for more money. It went on for about three years, never saw face-to-face -face contact. It, it's a scam. It's unfortunate too, because it happens most often to our, our widows and our women over the age of 55. Um, and, you know, to experience that type of trauma um, and loss of trust at that age, I think is, uh, must be very difficult. All right. You are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking about coronavirus related scams. And we have with us in the studio, actually not in the studio, uh, we are participating via Zoom, uh, attorneys Hugh Harris and Mercedes Restucha Clem. And they are both with the public protection section of the North Carolina Attorney General's Office. We're going to take a quick break, but we hope you stay with us. We've got a lot more information that you need to hear and know about. We'll be right back. I'm Nastasha Harris a second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Virtual Justice Spotlight. Fraud and scams have been around for many years. Perpetrators of fraud constantly change their tactics to deceive individuals who are attracted by what seems like legitimate information or legitimate opportunity. A scam or fraud is a wrongful or criminal deception intended to result in financial or personal gain. Last year alone, the Federal Trade Commission's Consumer Department received more than 3 million reports of fraudulent activity. Of those reports, imposter scams were the number one fraud reported. People reported losing more than half a billion dollars to imposters, who often pretended to be the government, a well-known business, or a family member with an emergency. Victims rarely know they've been scammed before the funds are lost, and it is almost impossible to get those funds back. During this coronavirus pandemic, Scammers are using fear against consumers of a loved one's safety to steal money and personal information. In this scam, a 
imposters posed as panicked family members in need of money to help with an emergency, such as urgent medical bills, bail, or plane tickets. Here are some tips to protect yourself against scams and fraud. Do not answer calls from phone numbers you don't recognize or emails that are not familiar to you. Make sure your privacy settings on social media prevent strangers from accessing information about you or your family that they can use to trick you. Finally, never wire or send money in response to a phone call, email, or online message. If you believe that you have been the victim of a scam, more information is at ncdoj.gov or 1-877-5-NO-SCAM. Virtual Justice at the NCCU School of Law is the intersection of technology and the legal clinical program. I'm Nastasha Harris. Thanks for listening. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with two experts related to scams. They work for the North Carolina Attorney General's Office in the Public Protection Section, attorneys Hugh Harris and Mercedes Restucha-Clem. And we've been talking about coronavirus-induced or related scams. And right before the break, Mercedes, you were talking about these, uh, the particularly vulnerable community of our elderly. And in fact, there are so many scams that are targeting them that there is, what is the name of that? Yes, so Operation Silver Shield. There we go. An initiative that uh, Attorney General Stein launched uh, this past February. And it's really to kind of double down on our efforts to protect seniors and scams. Um, and so uh, knowing that with this coronavirus going on, seniors are going to be even more at risk. We are asking people to, you know, be on guard against those robocalls. Go ahead and just hang up on them. If you have a number, um, you can go onto our website and report that number to our, uh, to our agency, uh, where it will be plugged into a federal database, which we will partner with telecommunication agencies in order to try to shut down these calls that are pestering all of us. Um, we've already had some pretty big steps take place uh, with the telecommunica telecommunication companies to enact some rules that have made it so that they can shut down the calls from their level. Um, so starting to see some movement in this arena to kind of, again, end those calls because we know that they are a huge pain to everybody. Well, let me just you know, ra raise this because now during this, this crisis period, uh, there are a lot of uh, community groups, church groups, uh, civic uh, groups in uh, communities that have taken it upon themselves uh, to try to identify people who are legitimately in need of, uh, of service, support, uh, companionship, uh, a number of other things, and they are reaching out. Uh, to uh, those individuals to cure some of the things that uh, that you and April were talking about uh, earlier. Uh, how does a person who is in the vulnerable community or who is in need uh, identify those efforts that are legitimate and need to be uh, not to be reported and those that are illegitimate and should be reported? I usually tell people to err on the side of caution. 
You know, we're, we're in an age now where we have to verify just about everything. I don't care if the phone call, it, it's, it may appear they can spoof the number. It can look like your local church. And the phone, phone number, the call can come in and they can say, hey, we were just checking on you, making sure you're doing okay. Um, by the way, we want to deliver these materials to you or we want to come by and see you or deliver this and try to eventually try to get money from you. But we're in a, just a day and time to hang up and call the correct number that you know. Don't use the number they give you. We just have to verify everything, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah, to keep yourself safe. I think it's important to, like you said, just be very skeptical. Um, and if you're going to make uh, contributions to charities and things of that sort, uh, verifying it through um, you know, friends and family, being, being people that you trust, that you know are using the money, that you can, you know, that you can go and see how they're spending the money because they have reports online um, that you do your research first, right? Uh, don't just kind of on a whim make a phone call and give, in, or even worse, give money to somebody that's asking you over the phone. Um, do your research and then call back and make that donation because there are people in need and you're right. And um, it's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust, but uh, you know, often going with that gut feeling, taking a step back and being skeptical. Mm -hmm. You, you mentioned uh, that the, the, when you were talking about the security freeze, uh, that the best course of action is to try to prevent it from happening in the first place. Can you talk a little bit about why it's so difficult when the scam victim is an elderly person, why it can be difficult to one, even know if it has happened and just kind of what's going on oftentimes with um, with elderly folks and why we really do want to try to prevent it from happening because if it does, one, discovering it can be a problem and discovering the full extent. Sure. Um, prevention is key and that's one of the main things we do in the public protection section, which I have a chance to do now in outreach. I speak about prevention where before I was in the consumer protection division, it was after you got scammed. So again, this is a, a, a preventative thing. And also, if you've been a victim of ID theft, you want to get the security freeze. And for elderly, as I speak to groups of all ages, not just elderly, I'll tell middle-aged people who are caring for their parents or know their parents are elderly, I'll tell them, look, everyone's going to make a mistake. And if your parents have made that mistake, do not come down on them hard. You wouldn't want somebody to come down hard on you. Because if an elderly person does make a mistake, does wire that money that we can't get back, by the way. It's very hard to, you know, get that restitution for them. The last thing they want is a child to either yell at them or say, look, I'm taking over your bank accounts. Oh my God, I can't believe you sent them 50,000 or you sent this guy 100,000. He's in Africa or he's on the mercy ship helping people. That's a scam. You fell for this. And imagine how they feel psychologically. Number one, it was their money and they lost it. So. We try to teach people, look, there's a way to approach this. It's not shutting down everything. It's not thinking or assuming right away your elderly parent cannot care for themselves. Now, you do have cases where some elderly people do have early stages of dementia or Alzheimer's. Yes, they probably should not, well, they should not have access to their accounts, whether it's checking, savings, 401k, any of that. But we try to encourage, and I encourage elderly people, don't be embarrassed by it. Don't think you have to be stupid to fall victim for a scam. Again, it can happen to anybody. And they are so good 
that we can pick up the phone now, these calls we're getting, and they'll, they'll sound official, right? They'll tell us, hey, we're calling from the Mercy Ship in New York. We need some funds to help these people. And you're like, oh, man, that is true. I saw that on the news. Well, the scammers are watching the news. So it's just keeping in touch with them as much as we can during this virus. I know it's just a phone call, but they may me- that means a lot, whether it's an aunt or uncle. Don't forget about them who may not have kids or your neighbor, give them a call, just check up. Hey, you doing okay? You got enough water? You good? Just checking up on you, making sure you're doing okay. If you have the video chat and they have access to that, do that with them. Let them see the kids, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's the communication, which is key. And again, I, I can't stress that enough, not coming down hard on people for making a mistake, which can happen to anybody. Well, following up on the, uh, the mercy ship, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier the uh, snake oil ads, uh, and uh, clearly uh, there are a number of efforts afoot around the country now to uh, advertise some miracle cure for the uh, coronavirus. Uh, can you talk about uh, you know the type of complaints, if any? that uh, your office has received in uh, that regard, and then uh, to uh, reassure people uh, that uh, there aren't any magic cures that we know of for uh, coronavirus other than staying away from, uh, from everybody and then from yourself. That, that's right. One of the first uh, things that we heard complaints about were uh, people going door to door claiming to sell testing kits, and uh, again, the cleaning supplies. Uh, it's important to note that the, the medical experts, as of right now, there is no cure for the coronavirus um, or, or vaccine as of date. And so don't fall for that. That, uh, that is uh, something that we're only gonna see um, in, yeah, increased and we've seen it and ultimately um, not true, right? And, and they, do, they are playing on people's kind of anxieties and fears and wanting to get ahead of, of whatever is out there. Um, the safest thing that we know to do, the guidance is to stay at home, wash our hands, and if we're going to be out in public wearing, uh, I believe that they're saying now to wear face masks. Yeah, let me add this, and, and just as I tell people with these other door-to-door scammers cutting the tree off your roof, if anybody comes to your house and they say they have a cure and they're going door-to-door with the testing kit or whatever, call the police. Call the sheriff's department on them. You know, you can call us, but we'll tell you to call them to get that person, stop them right now from doing that, because that's dangerous. Not just losing your money. We're talking about your life. You know, you're thinking you're cured and you have this testing kit you're carrying around. That's, and Mercedes said it right. We, we know what, what the science is saying right now. So, but yeah, definitely. If someone's going around your neighborhood doing that, call 911, get a description of them and let them know what they're doing let law enforcement handle that. And, you know, we should mention that, that folks that, that, you know, folks do target certain communities, right? So if you live, you know, up in an upscale neighborhood, you're probably not going to see those types of door-to-door folks, but, you know, neighborhoods at a lower economic level, uh, communities of color, as Mercedes mentioned, um, you know, communities that are particularly vulnerable, um, one group of vulnerable, uh, vulnerable sectors that we haven't really talked about are young people, younger people. So we've got students who are not in school, 
uh, and they're at home. And a lot of them are spending time on the computer. Uh, you've got college students, high school students, middle schoolers. Can you talk about the vulnerability of those that think they're pretty savvy when it comes to computers, but are actually pretty vulnerable when it comes to scammers? Yes, thank you for bringing that up because I think it's a, we, we focus a lot on seniors and scams, but we've seen that the data shows that uh, college and postgrad students are also being scammed uh, often because they are in, you know, having the financial difficulties with paying student loans and things of that sort. So keep in mind that, as we mentioned before, anybody can be scammed. There's a story out there about a Harvard law professor that taught a class on logic and reason that was scammed multiple times over. And so it can happen to anybody. It happens to seniors because they're home more and they have access to money, but it's happening to younger you know, students, post-grad and, uh, and college students, ultimately because they are, are falling for it. They're kind of gullible. They, um, our seniors kind of are getting the message to a certain extent. They're not losing money as much as they're being targeted for scams. Our young folk aren't aware that they're being targeted for scams. And so they are losing more money than our seniors are if, um, if they have money to lose. Um, so that's, that's what we can say about um, the seniors. I will, I do want to point out though, uh, since we're talking about the COVID and, and kids at home, right? One thing that our, our department and the, the uh, attorney general is, has rolled out are some resources for parents when it comes to internet safety for their kids. You know, we are having to do a lot of online homeschool uh, education now. Um, I'm very grateful that I have an 18 month old and don't have to worry about that type of stuff. But we're, a lot of our kids are spending a lot of time online these days, which is okay, right? I think we have a lot of guilt about that, but that's the reality. Um, online education is happening, um, but it's important that we uh, start setting up safety measures, um, making sure that kids are doing this in public places, um, that computers are not in their bedrooms, that the internet settings are set um, to secure, you know who they're, they're communicating with online. Um, a lot of not only scammers, but predators can come through and target our, our young folks that are spending time online. Um, so if you have these open discussions with your family, especially your young children that are on, on the internet, if you're observing any behavioral changes with them, they might be um, getting cyber bullied. Kids are having a lot of free time on their hands these days. And so just keeping up those, those lines of communication and making sure to, uh, keep tabs on what the kids are doing online and but not feel so guilty about them being online as much as, as uh, they are these days. Yeah, communicate with them. Talk to them about some of these scams that are going on. Tell them before it happens. Tell them the dangers of the internet. You know your child's age and their maturity level. Tell them, look, here's what could happen. Just want you to make sure that you know this. You can come to me. And we, we've created a uh, online safety guide that's available on our website, and it was done in partnership with SHIELD North Carolina um, and the North Carolina Coalition Against Human Trafficking and other um, human trafficking service providers. Uh, so I think it's important to get that message out. Yeah, that was, uh, I'm really glad you, you mentioned that because that ties, you know, perfectly into, uh, yeah, just the types of exposure. So not just you know, the scammers and people trying to get your money. And I suspect with the, the young people, you know, getting the uh, information for identity theft, right? So you might not be yeah. doing that so much with the, the older folks because they've got, you know, funds. Young folks may not have 
the funds, but they do have, you know, that's a security number. So being mindful of that. And then also focusing on, you know, the predators that are out there. And now that you've got so many young people at home on the computer with this free time. So thank you very much for, for mentioning that. Well, we are unfortunately out of time, but this was a, a great discussion. Before we leave, uh, can you all share with our listeners again how they can reach out to your office? And uh, also for folks who are listening who may not be in the state of North Carolina, any advice like at the national level who folks can reach out to if they are concerned about um, being defrauded or scammed? So on the national level, it's uh, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC.gov, www.ftc.gov, they will take complaints on scams and frauds. Um, And then for our office, we've got our website where you can file a complaint. It's the Department of Justice, www.ncdoj.gov. There's a link there on the main page to file a complaint against price gouging or filing a complaint about a robocall. You can also call our hotline. It's one 877 no scam. That's N O S C A M. All right. Well, we are out of time. We would like to thank our guests, two wonderful NCCU law graduates, Attorney Hugh Harris and Mercedes Restucha Clem, both with the North Carolina Attorney General's Office Public Protection Section. We'd also like to thank you for listening to the Legal Eagle Review this Sunday evening. We hope you've enjoyed the show, that you will take this information and share it with your family and friends and your community, vitally important. If you have any comments or questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And we're happy to announce that you can now find this show in podcast form. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.